It's worth knowing what's really going on. This is the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, the Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. You all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. This, my friends, is Access Atlanta. It's a new podcast that shares the best things to do, see, eat, and experience. Welcome to Access Atlanta. I'm your host, Shane Harrison, and this week I'm here with one of our reporters, Nedra Roan. Welcome, Nedra. Thanks, Shane. How are you? I'm great. And how about you? Pretty good. And so tell us a little bit about what you brought us this week. Well, this week I have a great story about Project Chimps, which is the newest chimpanzee sanctuary in the U.S. Wow. And it's right in Morganton, Georgia. Cool. So Morganton is about two hours north. Right, up in the mountains. Yep, yep. You have to go through Jasper and LJ and all that. It's beautiful up there. It is. It's really nice. They have a 236-acre property Yeah. that will eventually house 200, more than 200 chimpanzees that are coming from Louisiana. Wow. So, so all of the chimps there are coming from Louisiana? Yes. They have an agreement with um, a laboratory there at huh. um, New Iberia research center i think it's called something like that <laughs> it's the university of louisiana yeah and they um they made an agreement to house their chimpanzees with project chimps so all of their um chimps that are not federally owned will go to project chimps the federally owned chimps go to another sanctuary which is called um chimp haven oh, okay yeah chimpanzee haven so the chimps are coming here they this their former laboratory chimps. yeah so one of the interesting things about the story that i probably kind of knew but didn't really ever focus on is the fact that, um, you know, the U.S. government used to breed chimpanzees for research. Right. Um, and this was during, you know, the uh, AIDS crisis, and they were, you know, injecting them with viruses to see mm-hmm. if they could come up with a cure. Um, anyway, so when uh, when they got to a point where they were starting to retire, um, the chimps that were too old or too thick, maybe, you know, whatever, they had to find a place for them. Yeah. Um, and that's when they um, basically made an agreement with the um, sanctuary that I can't remember where it is um, yeah. and started to send all the federally owned chimpanzees there. So that started a while ago. Um, what ultimately happened, though, is there were a lot of other things that converged. You know, the U.S. Um, Fish and Wildlife, they decided that chimps are, um, you know, endangered. And so right. that limited testing that you could do on them. Um, there were also some other things that happened where um, the government decided, you know, all this research we've been doing really isn't working, mm-hmm. so we're going to stop invasive research on chimpanzees. That ended a lot of research at a lot of other laboratories, too, because, you know, invasive, that can mean a lot of things. Right. Um, so what they ended up with was hundreds, you know, of chimpanzees who could no longer be in these research labs and just didn't have anywhere to go. And so right. that sort of fueled um, um, the 
I guess, shift in um, now. I think there's 1,500 chimpanzees in the U.S., and the majority of them are now in sanctuaries than in research labs. So, wow. Yeah. And a bunch of them are obviously now in North Georgia, and will be, and there will be more. There are there's some now, and there will be more coming. Yeah, there are about 40 right there now. Um, they started coming in 2016 when uh, they got the facility up and running. Uh, around, I guess, it was around 2014, 2015. They um, made this deal with um, um, New Iberia to send all of their chimps there. They, their NERC for short, New Iberia Research Center, and. Um, you know, so they've started gradually sending groups of them. They live in um, in family groups, and right. they send them in their groups. So there's about maybe um, 10 in each group mm-hmm. on average. And they go as a group. They stay in quarantine for um, a period of 30 days while they're there. Right. Just to, you know, acclimate themselves. Um, and then they, you know, they start to integrate themselves into the facility. They're not mixed with other groups though. So that is a process that has to happen completely in, you know, separation from everything else. So right. they, they always stay in the groups that they transferred in. Right. Um, but, you know, they're allowed to go outside, for example, which, you mm-hmm. know, many of them didn't do before. You know, they have different foods that they get to try that they never tried before. Right. Um, so they're having these experiences, but um, the process of socialization is something completely different that they have to start from scratch because, right. you know, other than the groups that they were in, they haven't really bonded or, or mixed with uh, their kind in any of the other groups. Right. Well, yeah, they, they were always they bred in captivity, yeah, basically. Right. Mm-hmm. right. Yeah. So this, this facility uh, is up in Morganton, and can people actually go to it? Well, so a lot of people would love to go, and um, Allie Krumpbacher, Krumpbacher, who is the um, uh, executive director, tells me that she gets phone calls all the time from people yeah. saying, hey, when can I come see a chimp? I want to pet a chimp. I want to play with a chimp. Want, you know, And she's like, you've got one day <laughs> once, you know, once a year. Yeah. And that's pretty much what they do. They open up the facility. Um, they actually are doing it twice a year now, yeah. um, once in the spring and once in the fall. But um, that's when you, you, know, you get a ticket. You can go up and, and hang out and see what it's all about. Um, you will most likely get to see a chimp. It's not like you're going to go shake hands or anything right. like that. There's no, no interaction like that. But, you know, you can um, definitely see what's going on up there. Yeah. Well, I mean, it sounds like it would be fascinating just to learn what they do and how they do it. Yes, it is. And, you know, um, Mike Series, who is the, um, he is the manager of Chimp Socialization, and he um, he works with them in their socializing, and um, so he does presentations and he tells people really what this whole process is. That you know he's got to bring the female out and bring the male out, and they sit behind a screen and decide if they like each other, and if they pass little toys to each other, then that's a good sign. Mm-hmm. And you know, so you know he explains all of that to people and and what it's like, and um, he does chimp talk too. He he will you know do a nod and a, uh-huh. you know, um, a call, uh, they call it, um, pant hoot. That's it. Yeah. It's a pant hoot. Okay. Yeah. So Have you ever heard Jane Goodall do that? No. I, 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 well, I may have. You probably have. I, I probably have and yeah. forgotten it. A yeah. pan hoot? Pant hoot. Pant hoot. Yeah. I can't do it or I yeah. would, but yeah, yeah, he's really good at it and he, he'll, you know, does that. Right. He demonstrates it for everyone. So. Right. So he does that and, and communicate, that's a way of communicating with them. Yeah. And also sort of sign language of some sort. I mean, like body language, I guess. So like he taught me when I was there that when you meet a chimp, you know, you can nod and you do a pant hoot, which again, I can't do. And you show your elbow and that's like saying hello. So it's a way of communicating with them and being being non-threatening, you know, and showing them that. Yeah. Right. Cool. Yeah. 
Well, that sounds fascinating. It's like, and, and so close to us, it's a shame that you can only go a couple of times a year, but, and I, I assume that they probably have a waiting list for that, too. You know, they sell out pretty quick. Yeah. Um, the first one was gone like that. Um, yeah. There may be space for upcoming in spring right now, but um, right. yeah, fall just happened in September, it was. So. Right, right. Yeah. So, and spring, spring is, when do they do that in spring? In May. Yeah, it's May. Happening in May. Happening in May. Okay, that's great. So if, you know, you may still be able to get in if you want to go and uh, check out the Chimps um, up in North Georgia. And Nedra's going to take us there now with her story. Uh, and t- uh, tell me again uh, who you spoke with and uh, and all that up yeah, there. So I spoke with Ali Krumpacher, who is the executive director, and Mike Series, who is the manager of Chimp Socialization. Um, they, you know, were together just kind of talking through how Project Chimps came to be. Um, they talked a little bit too about how they um, do this process of socialization, which is right. very funny because Mike is completely unfiltered and yeah. says things he shouldn't say, <laughs> which may or may not make it into that. <laughs> but listen for that for sure. Yeah, right. So, and and if people do want to go and you know check out this, is there their website? Yes, uh-huh. it's projectchimps.org. Um, okay. And there they have all the information about um, their visiting days and, um, you know, just if you're interested in donating, they have a lot of different ways that you can um, volunteer, whether it's, you know, your time or money. So, all right. Well, and they, they're on a big drive to raise um, $10 million for the wow. second phase of building out so that yeah. they can get the rest of the chimps there. So yeah. all that has to happen pretty quick. So. Yeah, great. Well, cool. Well, uh, thanks for, for bringing us this, Nedra. Sure. And, thank uh, you. We're going to uh, take a listen to the story from um, the Chimp Sanctuary in North Georgia. Project Chimps. <laughs> so I wanted to start just by um, getting a bit of background from both of you and your connection to Project Chimps, how you ended up here. Um, where you started, that sort of thing. So let's start with Allie. Okay. Um, I've been working in the uh, animal field ever since I was a teenager, starting as a tour guide at a um, kind of a thematic drive-through safari park in New Jersey, and then moving on to veterinary school stuff and kind of deciding I didn't want to do the medical work, but moved more into the administrative side of how to effectively fund and run facilities that worked in animal welfare. Um, So I found my niche in that and I moved here to Project Chimps uh, about a year ago um, from San Diego where I had worked on a wildlife sanctuary project out there, not chimpanzees, (laughs) (laughs) different species. What species was um, was that? Mountain lions, bears, coyotes, all kinds of things. Okay. that place was going through a lot of change when I um, took over that position out in California and I got the new facility built and the programs up and running and it was time to find you know the new project to work on and Project Jumps came up as a animal entity that needed to grow quickly and um, create a capacity that could handle 200 chimpanzees um, right at the time we had uh, 22 when I got here mm-hmm. so it's a tremendous growth that we need to accomplish in a very short five years right so I didn't realize that this was an industry I didn't realize that you know <laughs> sanctuaries for animals wasn't it how give me a little history on on that it's one of those like best kept secrets because yeah. right? everyone knows zoos, <laughs> you know zoos right. and vet hospitals so when you say you want to grow up and work with animals like that's your two things right sure. you're gonna be a vet or you're gonna work at a zoo 
And there's like so many more ways to do it, but sanctuary is because we're not open to the public. It's kind of under the radar. So your um, wildlife enthusiasts, your animal rights folks, um, animal activists, they kind of know about sanctuaries. But the general public, because we're not open, you can't bring your kids. It's not like, what, you know, people call and say, what are your visiting hours? Like, twice a year. <laughs> That's our visiting hours, twice a year. Um, it's just a, an, a hidden industry, if you will. Uh, but very needed because it's animals that um, deserve a retirement home mm -hmm. or a life where they can relax and be themselves. Uh, so if they came from the pet industry where they were mistreated or perhaps illegal, um, they're retired from the entertainment industry. The ones that we're working with are retired from the research mm -hmm. industry. It's all animals that have been under duress for the majority of their life until they make it to sanctuary. So this is really supposed to be their quiet respite time. Got it. So has the industry been changing or evolving over the last, let's say, oh, decade absolutely. or so? Yeah. Tell absolutely. Oh, decades. I mean, it's uh, sanctuaries started because, or maybe the movement for sanctuaries, were individuals that were passionate. Usually individuals that you'll find that were the, say, mothers and fathers of the sanctuary movement were people that came from those other industries. They were probably an actress or an animal trainer um, or someone who had a pet and then kind of learned through that process just what a horrible idea that was. Mm -hmm. So they try to, you know, spread the word. They create a sanctuary out of their own situation um, and then invite other animals to move into that. So it really started as, as more of a hobbyist movement and then it had to be professionalized over the years. So it is still behind um, the professionalization that zoos have seen, but because they have revenue from ticket sales, you know, they, they've ramped up faster. Um, there is an accreditation body for sanctuaries, the Global Federation of Animal Sanctuaries, GFAS, which is worldwide. There are other smaller accreditations that you can find in different states, different countries, and that has really helped uh, professionalize sanctuaries. It has um, allowed the groups to standardize and really split between the ones that are still running more like a hobbyist and the ones such as us that have um, executives and a financial plan and um, strategic plan and long-term growth mm -hmm. because if we're taking chimpanzees that live into their 50s and I have seven-year-olds right now <laughs> I need to have long-term plans. Right. I need, I need to have a business plan <laughs> right. I need to have a business model there right. needs to be the uh, donation platforms that are going to help us maintain the quality of care and provide the lifelong commitment that we want to make to every animal that enters our doors mm -hmm. okay okay all right. Mike, give us a little background on how you ended up here. You have an interesting story. <laughs> yes, my story maybe is interesting, but um, I don't see it that much as interesting. Um, uh, I have been interested in animals, especially insects and reptiles, when I after, shortly after I was born, maybe four, five, six, my parents um, told me. But um, in order to work with exotic animals, I have so I'm born in Hungary, so I grown up in Hungary, and then the closest place I could work with exotic animals was the Budapest Zoo mm -hmm. back then in 1973. Um, I didn't work uh, exactly with reptiles and insects in zoo setting, but I got attracted, um, was placed to the great ape and primate section to try it out and I fell in love with the primates and particularly chimpanzees because they are so complicated mm -hmm. and uh, their social life is uh, full of stories every day. <laughs> There's no such thing as a, a boring day. So I got hooked and um, I worked at the Budapest Zoo for 10 years but then I had a, 
a little bit more um, um, more to do than just zoo work so I left Hungary um, and I ended up in, in Canada and through Canada I got a job at in the US at the Emory, Emory University um, I worked at the Yorkies Primate Center Field Station for 14 years and out of 14 years I worked with Franz de Waal who is an eminent research professor, scientist, behaviorist, a Dutch uh, scientist and then after or during the time um, I got uh, more crystallized and interested in why chimpanzee is so difficult to work with, what's the problem in captivity, mm. why is it so hard to integrate individuals into an existing social group. So I started focusing on it and we uh, at Yorkies Primate Center we formed a large group of 18 chimpanzees out of 18 individuals and that got me going um, and then in short I ended up working in 12 different countries so far since <laughs> and Just a few. Yeah, yes, <laughs> By invitation, most of the time. So I was, I was lucky enough not to even uh, apply for a job sure. because I was. They were all waiting for you. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> and that happened during the time when all the research institutes started um, retiring their chimpanzees mm -hmm. because of the chimps became endangered mm -hmm. species, as well as research stopped. So I ended up working in, in many European countries, back to uh, Germany, Max Planck Institute. Um, then Hungary again, uh, in Spain, in Holland, in Italy, um, and then back in Canada again. I worked in Liberia for eight months, mm -hmm. re-socializing the ex-laboratory chimpanzees of uh, New York Blood Center. Mm. So my focus uh, was um, crystallized by Again, the difficulties of chimpanzees' compatibility to each other, after, especially after research laboratories kept the chimpanzees in, in isolation, mm -hmm. so they needed to be re-socialized and then learn how difficult for chimps to get along with each other. So, um, based on formal introductions, group formations that were published in the past, uh, I developed a new, a relatively new method, uh, basically um, fixing all the negative problems that, mm. that uh, chimpanzees ended up suffering by simply just blending them together. Mm. So uh, it is deeply a chimpanzee psychology uh, based on behaviors, uh, their interactions with each other and um, I came to Project Chimps from Japan. I worked in Japan at uh, Kyoto University Kumamoto Sanctuary, also resocializing a lot of chimpanzees mm -hmm. uh, and in zoos. So I came when Project Chimps started, right. and I'm here since. Great. So one thing I wanted to cover in this and let people know is what, what was it that happened in, I think it was 2015, mm -hmm. that made such a change for, for chimps? Interestingly, all the uh, research institutes that retired the chimpanzees, with a few exceptions still uh, pending, uh, New Iberia 
uh, as private uh, research institute, uh, although the research and scientists are affiliated with many different uh, organizations, of course, uh, they had close to 400 chimpanzees at some point, mm. and they reduced the numbers by uh, outplacing chimpanzees to different institutes. And I'm sorry, that's 400 across all the uh, facilities uh, in the U.S.? Just or? no, no, at the New York area. Oh, okay. Facility. Wow. At okay. some point, they had over 400 wow. chimpanzees. Okay, and their their purpose was specifically to breed. Chimps yes, to for laboratory research. Uh, to some extent, yes, but also all the uh, race for uh, um, hepatitis C mm -hmm. research, hepatitis B, that was actually solved, and several other uh, infectious diseases that chimpanzees uh, were used. But for many years now, this is put on hold or actually banned, and there's no more mm -hmm. of these in under pressure of animal advocates, uh, sanctuary people, Jane Goodall, you name it, a lot of yeah. Yeah. So since the early 2000s, um, yeah. the pressure has been on to discontinue great ape research in general, so not just chimps, but any use of orangutans, gorillas, and bonobos. And uh, many studies have come out to show that despite all of the experiments that have been run, very few results have come from it. Um, the chimps metabolize very differently than we do. Uh, so a cure or a treatment that has been proven to be successful in chimps failed in any human trials. Oh, wow. um, so that just the fact that they're as close DNA related to us as they are, um, we could prove through many peer-reviewed papers that the amount of resources being put into doing these studies wasn't resulting in anything useful for humans. Right. And instead we were just basically um, tormenting mm -hmm. you know, these creatures for no reason because we were infecting them with disease that they wouldn't naturally get anyway. And then finding a cure for the thing that we just infected them with that didn't work for anyone else. Um, so the ban on breeding uh, chimps went into effect in 2011, About, yes, I believe. 15, 16 years ago. Maybe. Yeah, um, yeah, okay, so my, my maybe 2007 then. Mm -hmm. um, and that, that was her federal. So there's going to be a difference here between you know publicly owned chimpanzees yeah. and privately owned. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the private institutes just kind of followed along with what was required of the publicly owned chimps. But of course, there's been oops babies and you know things happen. So there's there's been birth since then, but not not the intentional you know population generation that had been going on prior to that. Um, so leading up to 2015, there was a lot of pressure on the industry in general to showcase again we're spending all this money on this research that is having no benefit mm -hmm. to humans. So why are we even doing it from a science level? And then let's also talk about the ethics of it, you know, but really the focus was on, it's not good use of donor dollars, not good use of funder dollars, not good use of tax dollars. Right. So why are we doing it? Okay. And then focused on, well, now what do we do with this? <laughs> <laughs> so let me get it right. So there were two sort of phases. There was the ban on breeding, which was in 07. And then that we culminated. We have to look that up, that fact. I'm okay, whatever. Yeah, somewhere around there. Somewhere. And then um, it culminated in the 2015 saying, okay, yeah, we're done. No more research. No more. We're, not, we're not funding it anymore. No one anywhere, no chimps. No, no great apes. Ish. Great, no great apes. No great apes. Bonobos, chimps. Orangutans, orangutans and gorillas. And gorillas. Gorillas. Okay. And it's specifically on invasive research. So you right. are still going to see there's, you know, I mean, you know, Coco the gorilla just passed away, but you are still going to see some apes used in non-invasive research that's going to be the sign language studies 
um, or just general behavior or hormonal type, you know, studies where they can get that information from a urine sample. Right. You know, and we can ask the chimps to pee in a cup. Yeah. So it's non-invasive. It's cooperative, voluntary mm -hmm. research. Okay. That's still going on. But invasive, you know, we're not going to be anesthetizing, injecting them, um, introducing any foreign mm -hmm. objects, removing biopsies. That type of stuff is only going to now happen if it is medically necessary and beneficial to that individual animal for their welfare. Tell me about... Um, the chimps being in endangered. I'm not sure that that's something that everyone knows. So wild chimpanzees have been considered endangered for the longest time. And it was a weird split where with chimpanzees that were bred in captivity, somebody, and I don't know who, got away with saying that they were separate species and that the ones in captivity were not equal to the endangered species status of the wild populations. And mm -hmm. that is what really also changed in 2015 is that other scientists overruled whoever initially said that and said right. it doesn't matter that they've been bred in captivity, they're still not domestic. <laughs> so they're still going to be considered, you know, equal to the wild populations and therefore all chimpanzees are endangered. Mm -hmm. right. Tell me how um, Project Chimps is unique in terms of its relationship with um, NERC. If it is, I don't know. I'm just saying that. I think it is. I mean, yeah. we, we have a cooperative relationship. Um, they have a behaviorist there that uh, Mike works with very closely. Uh, he participates in monthly um, conversations with our team and their team because we, the goal is to move all the chimps here. Right. So they need to keep up with what's happening here, what's changing, because chimps evolve, and particularly away from each other. Those chimps are evolving as mm -hmm. you know their spaces grow, but we want to move chimps here that are going to acclimate as quickly as possible so that we can continue to move more. So the, the team down there are the only ones, like we can't hand select who we want. We only have a list of names. <laughs> we don't know them. Their team is taking care of them every day. They know them and they want them to move here. Mm -hmm. So they're working on conditioning them to accept the transport process. They're evaluating them for their um, ability to join and merge into larger groups. Mm -hmm. Then they coordinate with Mike and his committee. and. We pick the next group. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> sure. is, so I mean, lost. this is really an individual selection. It's not we're just taking a batch of chimps and sending them out. It's it's let's think about who's ready to. They're yeah, in, they're like in groups. Transition. They are in groups and they come yeah, in groups. groups. Right. But, but still, yeah. Gender uh, separated. Right. So they are not together, and um, in order to avoid the oops babies. Right. So, <laughs> but we this is this is really against the chimpanzee social behavior. So we going to mix them, yeah. and sexes are going yep. to be mixed, we're not going to breed them. Mm -hmm. The males are vasectomized and the females are on birth control, so we virtually eliminate all the possibility. Mm -hmm. uh, and But we want to have them together as females and males, and it's so important because that's much more natural right. for their behavior. So let's, when they first come in, they come on, I, we see the Project Chimps bus, they come in there, yes. and, and what happens when they, when they get here, Mike? When they come here, of course, we have an empty enclosure system for them, mm -hmm. release them. They're so coming they're in, 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 in separate cages, mm -hmm. of course, because it's for safety reasons. Uh, we can handle 10 chimpanzees at a time, because our trailer uh, capacity is 10 chimpanzees. And uh, up to ten, we bring and release them back into the uh, into an enclosure system, so they are reunited mm -hmm. with the original group that is 
that existed at NERC mm -hmm. and then we bring another group of females or males depending which one came first mm -hmm. and we start resocializing them after quarantine time we have to go through a 30 day 30 days quarantine. Mm -hmm. okay. and is that just to make sure that they don't have yes, illnesses or and we just drove across four states and yeah. you know the, the, <laughs> the stress of moving and, and all of it's that it's very so. stressful <laughs> moving is extremely <laughs> stressful <laughs> so it, it's also just kind of their quiet time it's to quiet. learn about us right. get a new diet sure. <laughs> new new pollen yes. okay. all that yeah, got it new doors opening, right. new <laughs> noises, seriously, it's yeah. so important, just like when we move into a right. new house, a new mm -hmm. apartment, we have to look around mm -hmm. and see what noise we have to deal with during the first couple of days until it becomes, a, uh, you know, just no more right. trouble. Um, chimpanzees have to go through this and of course it's, it involves a little stress yeah. because they just move from their own home, mm -hmm. uh, go, come to a new home and then eventually they start facing with each other females and males we do uh, introduction trials with uh, testing all male and female individuals in on one-on-one -on -one to see who is compatible with whom mm. uh, what their original intentions are without uh, the group the original group influence we have uh, the rest of the females and rest of males locked outside the windows are painted so they don't have visual contact oh wow so, so you're just yeah. seeing one-on-one -on -one. you can't yes. see total privacy no crowd influence yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's very important because they influence each other's yeah. interactions so it's so like are, are you looking for signs of aggression or what are you watching signs for? yes signs of aggression signs of compatibility mm -hmm. if they are instantly like each other we have several individuals what happens if they like each other instantly? they like each what other do they they do? We have chimpanzee A, chimpanzee in the in mm -hmm. left hand side cage, let's say in the right hand side cage, and there is a mesh in between. Mm -hmm. They can meet there, and we don't interfere with anything. It's up to them, as voluntary, how they want to talk to each other. And so, a really cute example of when one of them wanted to meet another, <laughs> but the other one was not so inclined. Um, the, there was a little space that Mike had made so that they could pass things through to each other, mm. and the male kept. He took a toy and he squeezed it through and gave it to her, but she didn't touch it. So oh. he went and got a different toy and dangled it and, and threw it through. And then he kind of ran out of toys and she still wasn't coming over to play. So he found a stick. <laughs> like, do you want a stick? And he found some hay. Do you want some hay? Like, he just... And anything. Then, anything he could offer. He ran out of everything. And then he just sat there and just stared at her. <laughs> I yeah, want to be your friend. <laughs> it's just to get to know each other. One is more curious than the other. And, uh, want to lure the other individual closer and then... So I have a confession. I, um, I learned about Project Chimps through this, which is my lipstick from Kat Von D, uh, Project Chimps, and she developed this color to raise money um, to, to help fund the mm -hmm. development, right? And so um, I'm just curious, you know, you've had a lot of, of broad-based support, really, um, whether it's been celebrity support or, you know, funding from other um, institutions. Tell me a little bit about sort of pulling that all together to make this happen. Okay. <laughs> um, chimpanzees are expensive, <laughs> and we're going to have hundreds of them. Right. Uh, so we were very fortunate to find the facility that we're at because most of it was already built. You know, we were rehabbing a, a gorilla sanctuary, right. um, but still, there, there's been three million dollars of investment into getting to where we are today, and I still have ten million dollars more that I need to fundraise just to finish building. And then the chimpanzees, it's about seven dollars a day per chimp to feed them, which. You know, per chimp doesn't sound too bad. Too bad. Right. 
times 200 times 365 times 50 years. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, we need supporters like Kat Von D uh, who give us a percentage of the proceeds from a product um, that they advertise and that way it reaches people that maybe don't even know mm -hmm. we exist. Mm -hmm. You know, they just really like the shade of lipstick. And then we have our supporters that sponsor a chimpanzee that's on our sponsorship list. You get unique private updates and photos about, you know, their life here at the sanctuary. Mm -hmm. And then we have our social media supporters that see that um, we're advertising that we need more nuts on our Amazon wish list, um, or to local farmers that can give us produce that is surplus, you know, from their crops. Mm -hmm. And those donations um, are invaluable. I mean, they, they expand you know, beyond, above and beyond just the basic welfare, because when we get kind of the surplus items, and again, the produce that, you know, is a little unique, right. um, lychees, dragon fruit, you know, specialty exotic yep. foods that we can just offer them for fun, you know, it's not part of their required nutrition, right. um, it, it really enriches their life and keeps it off pattern, and being off pattern is what is enriching. Mm -hmm you know, being unpredictable mm -hmm. is uh, when the brain gets stimulated to think and to be curious. And we're now up to 86 active volunteers. We'll be at 200 volunteers by the end of next year, um, including traveling volunteer programs. That's That'll be advertised soon uh, mm -hmm. for 2019 because we do have individuals from around the world that are asking, like, can I take a two-week vacation and work with you? Oh, wow. Uh, so we will have programs like that because bringing in the brain power, it takes us a couple hours to create an enrichment item that is a puzzle, right? But our advanced puzzle solving chimps have 20 minutes to solve it. <laughs> but you know, it took like five people three hours to make them. So <laughs> the more hands, the better. Yes. <laughs> but it's good, right? Because they're they're solving problems, and it, it you have to actually give puzzles to the chimps at their learning level, right? Because you have some chimps that don't want to solve sure. puzzles, and you have others that are like, "This is dumb. I know how to solve this one. Where's the, where's my the challenge? Hard ones. <laughs> the challenging. I want ones, the yeah. challenge. Right. Gotcha." Yeah. The last thing I want to ask each of you is um, if, if there were one thing that you wanted to communicate to people about Project Gems and what you do here, what, what would you say? Just one that you feel is kind of the most important thing that you'd like to communicate to people. It's so hard to pick one. <laughs> All right, maybe two. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I would say putting everything into a, a ball. What you have, seen, what you have seen on television, shows being good, all, all these things, just to to learn more about chimpanzees, learn to respect them and accept them as as they are, our closest relative, and enjoy being observe, uh, observing them and treating them well. Mm -hmm. Look into their eyes and find your soulmate. <laughs> <laughs> Can that be done? Have you found yours? <laughs> Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> Might still be at the lab. <laughs> haven't met them all yet. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you guys both. I appreciate it. Thank you. Let's see what's happening in and around Atlanta over the next 10 days. For many years, it seemed that jazz got very little notice from the musical mainstream, with players toiling on the fringes. But the genre-melding musical explorations of Kamazi Washington are helping change that. The widespread acclaim continued with its latest album, 2018's Heaven and Earth, a two hours plus tour de force that displays the saxophonist and composer's wide-ranging influences and interests. He's played with both jazz legends such as Herbie Hancock and Wayne Shorter, and worked with rap innovators like Kendrick Lamar and Ron the Jewels. Don't miss Kamasi Washington's powerful sonic presence at Buckhead Theater starting at 8 p.m. on Saturday, November 7th. 
Tickets are $32.50, and you can get those at thebuckheadtheateratl.com. The latest Actors Express show, Reykjavik, brings together eight interconnected vignettes, including tourists, lovers, siblings, and birds in Iceland's capital city. This dark and atmospheric work by playwright Steve Yaki, a former Atlantan with strong ties to local theaters, could be just the right seasonal outing for those who want something just a bit different during the spookiest time of the year. As Actors Express artistic director Freddie Ashley puts it, quote, with all the supernatural elements in the play, it seemed to us like a perfect fit for the Halloween season. Reykjavik continues through November 18th at Actors Express at the Kingclaw Arts Center on West Marietta Street. Tickets are $20 to $35, and they're available at actors-express.com. It might seem a bit soon for holiday theatrical offerings. After all, we've just passed Halloween. But a look around any retail store will tell you that Christmas always comes early these days. And local performing arts groups are getting in on that action, too. At Horizon Theater in Little Five Points, the company's 35th anniversary season continues with A Waffle Palace Christmas, which opens November 15th and continues through December 30th. The show is a new holiday sequel to their 2012 Horizon hit, The Waffle Palace, which might remind you of a certain real-world eating establishment with the word waffle in its name. Get the details on A Waffle Palace Christmas at horizontheater.com. Over at Aurora Theater in Lawrenceville, the troupe's annual holiday show, Christmas Canteen, is a musical review with something for everyone. It returns to the stage on November 15th as well and runs through December 23rd. Find out more at auroratheater.com. And finally, the Center for Puppetry Arts is celebrating the season with its annual production of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, based on the classic television special. Everyone's favorite reindeer and all of his friends will take to the stage beginning on November 13th, and the show continues through December 30th. Head to puppet.org for tickets and showtimes. For more things to do around Metro Atlanta, head to accessatlanta.com. Our senior editor is Nicole Smith, podcast edited by Jasmine Ellis, music by Bo Emerson and Billy Ewan, and I'm your host, Shane Harrison. Join us next week for more Access Atlanta.